Hello and welcome to Pop Screen, part of the Geek Show Podcast Network. We are the Geek Show's podcast dedicated to the good, the bad and the peculiar of movies, either starring by or about pop stars. No, the podcast covers such a broad range of musical and cinematic genres, from country and western to hip-hop, from documentaries to science fiction. My name's Graham Williamson. I'm a film critic for thegeekshow.co.uk and horrified.com. I also make films and I write inlay booklets for Second Run DVD. I've been joined this week by two people. Sarah, would you like to introduce yourself first? Hi, I'm Sarah uh, Hayton. I'm a, a writer and director. Mm-hmm. And Mark? And part-time reviewer for you guys, sorry. Of course, yes. <laughs> I'm Mark Harrison. I'm a film writer and occasional quiz master for Film Stories and Vodzilla.co. Well, when writers Jormit, Comey and Akiva Schaefer set out to document the phenomenon that is Connor for real, they must have thought this was the fast track to making that Patrick Stewart money. Instead, they made a film about one of the most extraordinary train wrecks in pop history, although in Connor's defence, he is not a real person. He is played by the comedian Andy Samberg, one third of The Lonely Island, along with Tacone and Schaefer, and the film, Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping, is the spoof the mid-2010s pop scene deserved. And yet it was beaten at the box office by Me Before You and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, a fact which I believe one day there will be a war crimes commission about. (laughs) So uh, we decided to do this because this podcast is going out on April 1st, so it seemed fitting, reasonable, to do a mockumentary uh, what I was not expecting was for two of you to jump on this. So I suppose my first question is, The Lonely Island, are they that good? And if so, why? Do you like to field this one, Sarah? Uh, well, I can do, uh, whatever. Um, I, yeah, I like The Lonely Island. Um, I've, uh, there's, I, I can't even remember how I found out about them now. It was down a rabbit hole on YouTube, probably. Um, and I, I started finding such gems as I'm on a boat and um, uh, Jack Sparrow and um, I realised that they'd um, done some albums and I downloaded some tracks and that's probably where it started but I'm an SNL fan anyway and Andy Sandberg was a former cast member of Saturday Night Live Mm. and uh, I think one of his original I think they branched out into digital shorts and one of his original songs um, was one of those with um, the guy who plays Dr. Spaceman on 30 Rock, Dr. Spacheman um, Chris Parnell Chris Parnell, yeah Um, and was it called something like Easy Sunday Morning or something like that? Lazy Sunday I think Lazy Sunday, yeah so um, that's sort of a bit circuitous. And also I learned some valuable things like who T-Pain is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and actually a, a re-sort of a re-launching of Michael Bolton, which is a, a sentence I never thought I'd utter. Um, <laughs> obviously, I went through the, you know, the years of Michael Bolton having his uh, career. Um, I happen to be there, but, you know, I've had therapy about it now and um, <laughs> so I've come to terms with it. Um, but Michael Bolton is in um, a couple of things. He's done part of the live shows when they've presented things like, um, the, is it the Grammys or the Emmys or something? And they've done like a, 
It would um, be the Grammys, I assume, right? Grammy. Oh, yeah. yeah, I suppose it would be, wouldn't it? Um, they, have, they have that big, like, broadcast-friendly medley of songs, don't they? Where they're... That's it, and they'll just, <laughs> yeah. like, whack a load of songs together, and, and they, they'll put a few, like... They'll stick um, Jack Sparrow in with those songs. So Michael Bolton, who actually comes along to do this, has to change costume in the middle to a pirate and stuff. And it's just, it's really well done. <laughs> well, it's very funny. Costume changes on stage are the minefield, as I think this film <laughs> more than yeah. demonstrates. It does, it does, yeah. yes. Um, so um, <laughs> I kind of found them through the Saturday Night Live, like the viral video stuff. I've come to the same, just the same, sorry, just uh, downloaded albums afterwards. I just love that brand of, you know, it, it works as a sketch group as much as it does as music artists. But as we get to when we're covering the film, the songs, yeah, uh, the songs are really, really funny, but they're built like sketches, like whether there's a digital short or a video for them or not. Like, I love that how they're properly structured, escalating like sketches do. Like, the, one of my favourites, one of my underrated faves for, the, for the, them is, um, is Space Olympics, which is one they did for Saturday Night Live, which is like a spot <laughs> anthem that's about the first Olympics in space. And throughout the song, it runs into problems because there's no light or sound in space and there's <laughs> enough food and all the oxygen runs out. And as the alien hordes attack, I know my sins will send me to hell. And it escalates <laughs> so ma like magnificently. Whether there's a video with it or not, Every song they have like, follows that structure so well. It works as much for their brand of, of comedy hip-hop is as much sketch group as a spoof band. Yeah. Yeah. It just works really well. I mean, I've got um, like a few of the tracks from the, from th I think three or four of their albums. And um, there's even such a simple one as um, oh, uh, Spell It Out. And it's got the, the yeah. it works song. It's a really funky song, but also it's yeah. like a minute and a half long or something. Uh, yeah, there's another one that's along similar lines. That's just um, about semicolons and the correct use <laughs> thereof. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're, the lyrics are just... Diana as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That's the, the featured artists they get. Yeah, the featured artists yeah. they get. It's kind of out of doing the SNL guests, I suppose, as well, but... They yeah. do just continue to get amazing guests on them. Definitely. Many of whom reappear in this film as, as talking heads. They've yeah. yet to do a song with Ringo, but ideally they would have by now. <laughs> yeah. They like Adam Levine, though. He pop, keeps popping up, doesn't he? But someone yeah. has to like Adam Levine, <laughs> and it might as well be the Lonely <laughs> Island. I was going to say, one of the best jokes right at the start of this is that they have an, an Adam Levine hologram, as if they yeah. couldn't get him there in person, they just really expensively just had a, have an Adam Levine hologram and then have another one just twerking <laughs> on himself. Yeah. It's just the excess right from the very start. <laughs> yeah, because um, the, the idea of this film, it's not a film about the Lonely Island, it's about a fictional boy band called Style Boys, who have split up before the documentary is made and their breakout star, the Timberlake to their rest of NSYNC is <laughs> Andy Samberg as Connor For Real, who's released a, a massive hit album, which, I mean, this is only there for a fraction of a second, but the film is so stuffed with jokes. His first hit album is called Thriller Also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he is introduced with this song. Uh, is, is it called Humble? I should get the yeah, track listing up. So yeah. Yeah. 
I'm so humble. Yeah, yeah. It's about being extraordinary and Arnold Schwartz and ordinary at one point. <laughs> <laughs> humble is interesting because it did uh, put its finger on something that I had observed about that generation of that era of pop where there seemed to be like an arms race for people trying to look the most sort of down to earth and grateful for what they are. I mean, Jessie yeah, J from, did it so much that she ended up looking absolutely insane. She was trying to be so normal that it made her look really weird. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. <laughs> yes, yeah, it was very much that sort of thing. So I was pleased to see, when you see something like that observed where you don't really know if you're the only one who's observed this, because I, I was going through those years thinking, yeah, I was listening to the Lady Gaga and Katy Perry and thinking this this is terrible, but everyone else seems to like it, I guess. And <laughs> it, it was really kind of gratifying for me to see someone actually nail the cliches of an era of music that hadn't had its cliches nailed. <laughs> well, on top of, of setting a tone, it, it sets up the its device of its documentary device right away by segueing out of that song to Mariah Carey straight firstly saying, I would have said I am the most humble person that I know. <laughs> Which again, it's you're like boom, you're in. Okay. <laughs> I mean, what this does so well from the title down is it, it parodies these music documentaries and concert films that have sprung up around these people who are trying to appear normal with mm. their feature films, usually in 3D. Like this one is like very specifically, um, like Never Stop, Never Stop in sounds an awful lot like the Justin Bieber one, Never Say Never. Yeah. And I think there's the most parallels between the various different Bieber meltdowns and um and what kind of a real gets up to in this but it's it, it's what i like about it is it's doing so much of what people would say is you know a certain um like reviewers are kind of going to go oh it's spinal tap it's never going to be as good as spinal tap i think it's specific enough to these documentaries to avoid those direct comparisons even though it does the like the exact same sort of review joke but updated for the 2010s yeah by was, rolling stone <laughs> yeah I, I was gonna say when it does step on spinal tap turf and inevitably if you're making yeah. a music mockumentary that will happen it does so in a way that it doesn't embarrass itself by the comparison like that clothes change thing I would, if I was writing a comedy skit about an onstage disaster involving props, I would be very intimidated by Stonehenge, you know, yeah. looming in my <laughs> mind. But yeah, but you know, yeah. that's that stands comparison, I think. That's as funny. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because that is again a direct reference to one of these music documentaries. Um, this oh, is was, it? I did, I, I went to go see, um, uh, at a point when I was on the review hustle around 2012, I did end up going to see part of me, the Katy Perry documentary, and she mm. has that gimmick in her show of costume changes, which is why he says in the film, it's designed for a woman, it won't work, your junk will get tangled. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, it doesn't. <laughs> it's, there's, the thing that, like, watching it for this, there's so much stuff that specifically relates to real-life things, and I think that's one of the triumphs of the film, is that... You know, in, in, in an era where satire is almost impossible because reality is too ridiculous, mm. it manages to find funny spins on so many different versions of of real life things. Like the, the Justin Bieber thing, I've mentioned this. Um, there's, there's a scene where Connor's at the Anne Frank Museum that directly <laughs> relates to a real life incident where Justin Bieber made a tit of himself <laughs> by signing the guest book. I hope she would have been a believer. 
And uh, similarly, in his in Never Say Never, there's a bit where he runs at the camera the same as Connor does when he's wielding a samurai sword. <laughs> at one point, <laughs> it's 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 that dense with you know relations to real like the genre that it's spoofing as much as it has the spinal type things and as much as related it's it's a musical comedy a comedy with music bits in it. It's so specific is one of the things I admire about it. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that Anne Frank bit helped me. I mean, I think I'd cottoned onto it before that, but it helped me understand what the attitude of the film is. Because if you were going to write a film that was really viciously satirising, like the entitlement or the self-absorption of this generation of pop stars, uh, you would really struggle with something like, I hope Anne Frank would have been a believer because it is beyond <laughs> satire. So yeah. in, instead, this just goes bigger and broader and goofier with it. You recognise the reference, you recognise that there's a satirical point under it, but mostly it is just a really good, dumb joke with Andy Samberg yeah. sort of flailing around a bit. And it's like, <laughs> it, it, it has teeth. It's not a harmless film, but it's also not the work of people who think someone desperately needs to skewer Justin Bieber because <laughs> he, he is self-satirising in a lot of ways. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's I think it's just... Old territory, but at the same time, it just it works. It takes it to new places, I think. Mm. It mm. never feels old and hackneyed. It's, even the bits, like you say, that do sort of remind you of Spinal Tap or whatever. It's uh, That sort of occurred to me a few days afterwards that, I, I didn't feel like it impinged on uh, on that. I didn't feel. I felt like it was new and exciting and really funny. And the songs were really top quality. I really liked the songs, independently of anything else, which I suppose is how I came in anyway. But yeah. So was this the first time you'd seen it, Sarah? No, it's the second time I've seen it. Um, I saw it when it was out, and I was dead excited. And when it was out, I couldn't understand why it wasn't like everywhere, and everybody wasn't mm. talking about it. Mm. I, I think it was a mystery to me. But like you said, if obviously I wasn't anticipating the same opening weekend as Ninja Turtles. So. Yeah, it's. It, I think w when you've when you're in a competition with the Ninja Turtles, you've got to have a little mm. game recognize game moment, haven't you? You've got to accept <laughs> yeah. that the masters have turned up. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's one of those things where like summer 2016 was an absolute like wood chipper for films like this. <laughs> like the summer was just it was absolutely strewn with like hardly anything did well because it was all kind of going under the wheels of stuff like Suicide Squad, which came out earlier in the month from this and was just eating up. All this stuff. There was um, like loads of like weird. It's just a weird summer. It was like full of films and sort of full of flops as well. Where with this, this was put back from earlier in the year, and it was absolutely thrown under the bus in terms of its scheduling. Like I, I'm not sure. It, was it Ninja Turtles? Was it up against that in America? I, I, I don't know. I think it might have been. Know. Yeah, I might have been taking it. It came out here a little later, and I think partly because of its box office performance in the US, we had to travel. I was looking forward to seeing the film. We had to travel a bit to find a cinema that was showing it, and it is really good. And it's one of those films that has picked up. It, it hardly cult appreciation because it should have worked like this in a full cinema hmm. would have been incredible. But like you know, as it, as it stood, uh, me and my brother were probably laughing the loudest of the five or six people who were in the. <laughs> on a Sunday evening it's just disappointing <laughs> um you mentioned um, the songs this um Graham like the last episode of uh pop screens that we use on Josie and the Pussycats and I was talking yeah. about how I was talking about how um the songs are you know the songs aren't overly comedic to the point I can't believe these are hits and mm. again with the specificity of this I love how 
like a lot of the songs on this soundtrack align to like real songs that came yeah. out. The thing I was flabbergasted to learn on this viewing <laughs> is that the the equal rights, you know, I'm not gay, but if I was, I would want equal rights. I'm not gay. Predator it is, it is a spoof. It's a spoof of a song uh, called Same Love by Macklemore yeah. and Ryan yeah. Lewis, which is when I read it, I went, what? And, and looking into that in the song as well. Yeah. Macklemore yeah, it, does do that in the original song. He has yeah. like the song starts. The song starts with him saying, "I thought I was gay because of this, this, and this," and then I'm not, but I still empathise with everyone. And when it came <laughs> out, it was at the moment. It wasn't. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it was well received. It was at a point before yeah. gay marriage being legalised. What's hilarious and is that it cuts to so I'm going like, why is he talking about gay marriage being allowed? Like it is. <laughs> why is he? Why is he doing? But yeah, it's but it's as as a parody of it. It's it's perfect because it is just it's someone getting it wrong it's in that like that sitcom tradition of you don't want to watch characters who are like specifically good at what they're doing someone just trying their best to getting it wrong <laughs> yeah i mean can, can we just pinpoint that macklemore and lewis thing because that that was another thing where when that came out a lot of people who do not listen to hip-hop, otherwise known as music critics, uh, mm. were saying, you know, how, how brave this is and, of course, how daring to do it in rap. And I was listening to it thinking, has everyone gone fucking bananas or is it just me? <laughs> and then I think the first person I saw who really sort of pinpointed that was actually Ronan Farrell, who tweeted, <laughs> man, for a song about uh, accepting gay people, this really does spend a long time telling you that the singer isn't gay. If <laughs> voila. I mean, it's as I say, it's someone trying their best and getting it wrong. And it's it is the thing that like it's a lot of the film does so well is that it's you know with the other two members of the Lonely Island play who are playing characters, the other two members of the Style Boys, it's pointing out that no one of them can really go solo. Like one of them sings a big song about um things in his Jeep <laughs> that yeah. the critics just don't connect with because they have other things in their Jeep. <laughs> like you know, kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of second album absolutely failing. Like the song, about, um, fucking someone like the U.S. military fucked Bin Laden. Yes, <laughs> that was it. That was such. I love that the intelligence of a lyrics, a lyrics from a song such as that. Um, just the yeah. the the military precision uh, and the the whole like that whole line just I want my special forces in. to invade your cave was the one that made me lose it <laughs> I said he wasn't in a cave <laughs> it was, it was, but like incredibly the best line isn't even like in the film if you go listen to the soundtrack album like she says um, you um, you finish me off now throw my body in the ocean <laughs> 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 yeah, it, it is fantastically well written and they obviously have an embarrassment of stuff to do with it. I mean, one of my favourite songs in the whole film, Legalise It, is just played over the end credits. Yeah. Uh, so there's clearly a wealth of stuff here. And the other thing is, despite this having a producer's credit for Judd Apatow, mm. this film is 87 minutes long. When I saw that and I saw Judd Apatow, I thought, have you missed out the one from the start of that number? But no, no, it's 87 minutes. Um, remind me to tell you about the Judd Apatow cuts of this film uh, before we get to the end. But I was going to say, that is what I noticed um, 
on on this view and just like that yeah there's no line around us like the closest they get is when connor pops out in like makeup later on and there's a joke about him looking like jason siegel like again the authenticity to the, the these documentaries don't go on for as long as as judd apatow films do so it is a, a tight 88 minutes even though there's reportedly about two hours out of deleted scenes they could have put into it that makeup scene is one of the things that I thought if, if Apatow was directing it rather than just producing it, that would play very differently. Because I, I don't dislike Judd Apatow, but I think he is more impressed with his ability to write serious dialogue than I am. And I think he would have played that like breakdown and reconciliation scene deathly straight whereas Andy Sandberg is playing it with a sort of putty fake nose and chin on that makes him look uh, as yeah, as you said like Jason Siegel or like Sarah Silverman's character says like Nazi propaganda <laughs> yeah. oh god <laughs> yeah I mean yeah, as you say, I think the reconciliation stuff in there is, is brilliant as well, because where most of these things would get a bit sappy or sentimental, even the films they're spoofing will mm. get a bit serious. You know, the, 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 the fact that there's a PG film about how sad Katy Perry was getting divorced. Yes. Oh, uh, sorry about that. Uh, just had a quick costume change in the middle of the show. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, um, we should talk a bit more about the supporting cast for this because it's not just the Lonely Island and some celeb cameos. There is a pretty great supporting cast in this. It's got Imogen Poots in the same year that she was in Green Room. And if that isn't versatility, I don't know what is. Yeah, I love Imogen Poots. Me, I'm fairly sure the name is just karmic retribution for everything else, but she's fantastic in <laughs> yeah. everything she's in. She's, she's great here. She's, she's Ashley Wednesday, the sort of like celebrity girlfriend who's like who's, who's talking romantically about these these couples in the news and you don't know whether it's real love or or just for fame and fortune and she wants to be one of those couples <laughs> yeah, i could be like one of those <laughs> <laughs> it leads up to the again like there's there seems to be like a, a thing that happened in reality that's the absurdity of this this spoof there's something that happened in reality to match most of the scenes in this and the sort of the press being invited to the proposal is mirroring um, the Kanye West's proposal that was on that was sort of filmed for keeping up with the Kardashians and is similarly oh. saccharine and over the top, but doesn't end with wolves being released. <laughs> I, I didn't Just know the whole that. The sequence I did. is magical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she, she kind of has the, I mean, the other fun bits of trivia in that, the, just the two favourite subtle gags, both centre around Seal's cameo. Mm. The first is the, the song that he's singing, the Ashley Wednesday song, is the exact same melody as the Mona Lisa song, but uh, <laughs> sort of like awkwardly, tortuously with the lyrics changed to be romantic. So the passage in Mona Lisa where he starts singing about being an American man and France being stupid is, I'm an American man and I love you and that. And <laughs> 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 Will you please marry me? Um, the other gag is that like when they're all running away from the wolves, Seal says he's, he's had experience with this. Like, how do you think I got these scars? Like almost like he's Ledger to have yeah. night style. But it's just, it's, it's, it's a gag that like for modern you know, it's one of these it's one of these films that layers jokes you'll either get on the way home or more likely with modern viewing habits when you Google how did Seal really get his scars and find out that in the world of this film, lupus is just a euphemism for lupine or for wolf attack. <laughs> <laughs> 
I didn't pick up on that Kanye West <laughs> reference, but I did spot the other Kanye West reference in here, uh, which is based on that leaked bit of audio from the Obama White House where Barack Obama called Kanye West a jackass, yeah. um, which is a real thing that happened. And there's a version in here after Connor's disastrous album launch where there's just a chiming on the news saying, President calls pop stab a real dumb fuck. <laughs> Beautifully done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, we've I think we've talked on this podcast before, and we're going about the U two doing songs of innocence as a free download. Yes. <laughs> and so, yeah. And again, it amps it up to the nth degree where it takes down the entire eastern seaboard's power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was something that really brought people together. Everyone deleting that U two album at the same time. Yeah, it's a, there's, there's just a fun thread running all the way through about how tech has made music ridiculous as well, that, that Owen can do his entire DJing job from an iPod, which is why you get <laughs> Harry Potter audiobooks playing while simultaneously he's blinding and deafening the audience with a helmet designed after Optimus Prime's dick. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's terrific. I love this film. It's It's... it's it packs so much into it to those to that ninety minutes. That ninety minutes is the, the about as much as you know um, these music documentaries and concert films can actually drag out to feature lengths. Yeah. But um, considering mm. the tendency of films like this, of Judd Apatow produced comedies to to drag on and on, it's so well done. Well, you mentioned Judd Apatow. You referred to the Judd Apatow cut before. I assume that is something <laughs> which just like gives Steppenwolf more of a part, fleshes out Cyborg, goes more, on for four hours characters. for some reason. <laughs> More characters who look like cutlery, and no, the um, the scene with the style boys in the limo, where uh, where Connor's boasting about his fans, and he gets assigned tits and all that kind of thing, and while he's not looking, um, a penis turns up. Uh, that's Judd Apatow's penis, reportedly. That's uh, <laughs> kind of for real signs. Uh, we have Judd Apatow's word for this, presumably. Um, yeah, it's it, it's one of those things that not necessarily verified, but they've both if they they're either kidding or they've all owned up to it. Like they said in an interview, yeah. Judd Apatow said, "Yes, it's me." I'm reminded of a, a bit on the Fight Club commentary where you see Tyler Durden, the scene where Tyler Durden splicing frames of pornography into the children's <laughs> films. And I think it's Edward Norton says, look, David likes to do a cameo in all of his movies. <laughs> yeah, so here's something about the, um, the, the cameos. Because you've got a film that on one level is a satire of the pop industry, and you've got cameos from people like Simon Cowell and Mariah Carey and Usher in it. Do you think that adds to it or defangs it? I think it's. I mean, from the it's the caliber of the cameos. I would say mm. because it's not. It's not just the same people popping up over and over again. Although you know, like when Usher's in and talking about how much the Style Boys mean to him, he pops up on stage at the end of the film, and that pays off. It's the sheer um, breadth and depth of like you know you can have Simon Cowell talking about how he wishes One Direction were more like them, and you can have Ringo Starr pop up. <laughs> one tiny little bit and yeah I, I think that adds to it I think it's yeah I think, I think it, it's their track record isn't it it's what they always yeah. seem to have done except I don't think they went as far back as we love sports I don't believe there was a guest star in that but 
<laughs> aside from that, um, yeah. they, they get some they get some good stars in there like Akon and yeah. Michael Bolton. <laughs> they wind up with like better fake talking heads than some of the real music documentaries have. <laughs> well, that's true because most of the time, by uh, there was a time in the noughties where it had to be Sting talking about how he'd always been a massive fan of insert person this documentary is about here, and now yeah. it's like it's. I love the guy, but it's Johnny Marr and he's always in the same pub in Manchester. And I think he just sits there with a pint of bitter all day and has like a rotating set of camera crews coming in to talk to him about some old musician. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a gag about a music documentary Kickstarter that someone made on Twitter at one point that was like, hey, if we reach this stretch goal, we can get the rights to that clip of Dave Grohl saying, what you have to understand is... No one ever heard anything like this before <laughs> that we can use in the trailer. <laughs> I'm surprised Grohl isn't in this, frankly. Like that seems like the kind of on point reference he would have made. He does. Yeah, a lot he's, of he's, he's a frequent star of SNL, so there is like a ballpark link there, isn't there? He turns yeah. up in the Tenacious D movie. Hmm. Yeah. Um, on the character, on the supporting cast of the characters, though, I love um, Tim Meadows, who's another yeah. SNL alum. He's, he's playing uh, the manager Harry, a former member of Tony, 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 Tony. He was the, <laughs> <laughs> the one question. That Tony. Tony. <laughs> Up against some competition, that is the most niche gag in the script, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's um, it's one of those things. Like another one of my favourite like spoof music films is Walk Hard, and Tim Meadows is in that as well, and it oh. sort of just carries over. He's like the, the cast member in common between these two films. And he's terrific in this. I just love his, like, he's, it's the ridiculous sort of like, he's, he's right in the center of that cycle. As much as like Connor is surrounded by yes men, like we were told at one point that, yeah, that Connor has a perspective adjuster. He's a short guy who stands next to him and make him look taller. Oh, but by the is, same token, by the way, could I just, could I just yeah. put in here, who, that perception adjuster is Danny Strong, a.k.a. Jonathan off Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> I didn't clock that. Wow. You, you only see him quickly, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right before it moves on to a guy who punches him in the balls to remind him where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but but Tim Meadows is so like because it can go back and forth between who's the straight man and who's the foil between him and between him and Andy Samberg. They have that ridiculous like the best version of it, the best like encapsulation of it is when they're talking about the the sales when there's like there's no one uh, sitting in the the balcony in the arena and they have the the back and forth almost like Abbott and Costello routine of like repeating the same things back to each other but changing changing horses halfway through like this place I say 18,000 seats no one sells that out and Connor saying Hamilton sold out last week and Harry said well the record company isn't happy like what this place is 18,000 seats no one sells that out well Hamilton sold out last week (laughs) it's beautiful it's beautiful it's like perfectly choreographed or it's like like really well transcribed music (laughs) i think tim meadows is one of those people who gets funnier as he gets older too because he's always been very good at comedic weariness which is quite funny coming from someone who's young but the older he gets the funnier that sort of aspect of his comic skills becomes i think yeah I mean, with with him and then coming back again to the thing of like it's spoofing stuff that happens in, in music documentaries. It's another thing where people want to, to look authentic and down to earth. And even though they've got a camera crew filming them, they'll have the dramatic thing of like, it happens a lot on reality TV as well, of like mm. asking them to turn the cameras off. Yeah. And 
what ensues is a scene where it's like they'll still have the subtitles of the audio recording of the conversation, yeah. and it turns into a joke where, like, we we we're getting into talking through a lot of the jokes in this, but this epic. I, I almost don't want to spoil it. like this. Epic but it's good. Subtitle. It's good. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. This epic kind of subtitled off-camera thing that ends with them going, "Tell me you got that." It's like, but you told us to stop filming. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it it does it it does get the sort of stages of a pop documentary in a pop career as well. It's like, uh, "I'm so humble" is a marvelous example of the coming back with a song about how hard you've had it trope yeah. in like Obama era pop music. Um, I say Obama era pop music an awful lot, which is weird. As much as I hate to say it, I think that when Democrats aren't in the White House, the median standard of chart music just goes up a bit. It's part <laughs> of the payoff, I guess. But mm. yeah, I, I have a great soft spot for uh, the My God, I've Struggled song. Do you remember when James Arthur like released a song <laughs> about how people thought he was kind of a dick for a bit but he's come back from that and the way he was singing it you'd think that he'd been like in a methadone rehab clinic for like a year but no it's just you got some bad PR for a bit yeah it's it's definitely a I mean it, much as the films themselves are designed to mm. as yeah designed in some ways to to do that yeah it's a it's a weird little facet now of, of chart music like the the it's sort of evolved from that into in recent years, what I'd call sad bangers. Like yeah. the most of what charts is bleeps and boops or I oh got that's the oldest I've ever sounded. Most of what charts is bleeps and boops sad bangers. <laughs> and you can't hear the words, can you? And you yeah. can't tell whether they're a boy or a girl nowadays, can you, Mark? <laughs> hey, blimey. <laughs> anyway, it, it's <laughs> it does key in at that stuff so well. And I think what's a lot of what works in this is that it's arriving at the last possible moment it could. I think yeah. a lot of the stuff like the fridge going offline is an exaggerated version of, of the U2 thing and all that kind of thing. But like a big recurring thing in this is that showbiz and the media cycle is much too ridiculous to be played straight. And so it's the, the brand of parody that's doing is only a little bit further ahead of that. And as if to prove that, there's a film that the Lonely Island were developing as a follow-up to this mm. uh, that's about a festival that goes wrong, like a music festival that goes wrong. And then the Fire Festival documentary came out. <laughs> like, well, it, it wasn't. It was like I think what killed it was the documentary. But basically, the, the news story came out, and Seth Rogen, who was producing the film with them, tweeted, "Yeah, me and the Lonely Island may or may not be developing a film about a music festival gone wrong." And this stuff came out about that. You know, he's, he's more familiar with this. The thing about influence yeah, yeah. getting stranded on an island. Yeah, yeah. that was uh, run by Ja Rule, and like I think that <laughs> that project not coming through. I guess in part because of that is like the ridiculousness of the media cycle and showbiz overtaking comedy. Mm. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's why that wasn't made. But we spoke a bit about how this was not that big a success at the box office. Obviously, part of that is you can't go up against the turtles. You know, they'll they'll <laughs> cut you. They'll cut a bitch. Um, <laughs> but what what do you think it was that maybe didn't connect about this? I think it's 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 a word of mouth. It's been a word of mouth hit, and it's like it's now what you would call a, a cult classic, I guess. I think it would is a film that, you know, as I said earlier on about twenty sixteen, I think a lot of films that flopped then would have done better at different times of the year rather than the height of summer. Like here, it came early September. It was late August, and as you say, up against the turtles in America. Um, I think it's a marketing thing because it was delayed a few times 
and schedule. It's yeah. like, all right, we want to do this in the height of summer. We want to have a big summer comedy hit. And it was just mishandled. I yeah. Think. Yeah. I also think that um, over here uh, in the UK, Hmm. um we we don't we'd not necessarily it's kind of out of the blue to a lot of people so they're not necessarily aware of the snl track record hmm. or the the band previously themselves um yeah. because they don't really feature on any of our programs over here um so i'm guessing that maybe for some people they'd never heard of them and and they thought maybe it was a secret um a, a, they thought it maybe it was a, a documentary or hmm. maybe they were just confused about it yeah, I think this was like early days, like Brooklyn Nine-Nine as well. So I think maybe yeah. a couple of years later, it would have kicked off. But as we said, a couple of years later, a lot of this stuff would have been would have been out ridiculous <laughs> by, yeah. by reality. Um, I think that like in the case of like, like having, um, you know, just going on nights out and stuff at a certain time of the night, like I'm on a boat, will come on and people know it. And people know the Jack Sparrow <laughs> video from it going viral. And I think yeah. it's more a case of like, yeah, they know the songs and they know... Uh, Andy Sandberg from other stuff, and it's not so much knowing the Lonely Island. They have had like UK chart hits over here, nothing in the top forty singles chart, but um, I think Turtleneck and Chain, like their second album, cracked the top mm-hmm. forty albums. That's going on ten years ago, though, so they've never been like huge yeah. stars over here. I suppose there is the thing where for people in America, if they see something like Dick in a Box they will immediately think, oh, that's that guy off Saturday Night Live, even if they've just encountered it like on random YouTube browsing. Whereas in Britain, we don't have Saturday Night Live for context. So it's just a funny video and it's kind of hard to market stuff based on that. A lot of people might just even say, um, oh, that's Justin Timberlake and some other guy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They might think it's just, they might look at it and think, is this Justin Timberlake's new single? Wow, he's really stepped up artistically in a lot of ways. I will say, is that some of NSYNC? (laughs) There is the fact as well that, like, yeah. There is the fact as well that like there's um, there's a lot of goodwill being burned on like even though this isn't a film based off a Saturday Night Live sketch, there's mm. been a lot of goodwill burned on like stuff in between the Blues Brothers and and Wayne's World like going through stuff like it's Pat and Cornheads and that kind of thing. So where yeah. you get films like like MacGruber is another genuinely good like sort of spun off of a Saturday Night Live spoof film mm. that did absolutely out because well films based off Saturday Night Live films aren't very good and this isn't like. This isn't expressly sprung out of Saturday Night Live, except that they've launched Lonely Island out. It's a weird example of a music act being launched off it instead. It's weird, yeah, because I think in a strange way, if it had been more keyed into the SNL work, it could have done better, because this is a problem that you see with a load of pop music films, and it's a problem that you see with something as like highbrow and artistic as True Stories by David Byrne, which is that... Mm you can make this beautifully crafted suite of songs that are designed to work within the context of a movie, but most people want to hear the hits. And it's sort of weird how that that works when the hits might have sort of once in a lifetime and born under punches. And it mm. works when the hits are jizz in my pants and threw it on the <laughs> ground. <laughs> Happy birthday to the ground! <laughs> There's a moral to this story, and it is, you can't trust the system! You can't trust the system! <laughs> it's just such a deep venture of, like, I mean, the, the, I will say, like, the one thing I would say in criticism of this film is I don't love um, the ending. Like, I think Incredible Thoughts isn't the funniest song 
to yeah, end on. Yeah, I thought that was an unusual choice as well. It's not the strongest. Yeah. Mm. It's like it has the, we were talking, Sarah, about the, the medley at the Emmys, and it more had the air of one of those. And it's like, all yeah. right, I thought they were the style poison in this bit, they're the Lonely Island. And I think that mm. it's the, the bit that follows, I think, that the very end, which again, I'm talking around spoilers, it sort of ends on a gag that's obviously done in post production rather than been attended. And I think mm. it's a side effect of them cutting, like filming two hours worth of stuff, but keeping it to 90 minutes. So they're like, oh, sh- oh shit, we don't have an actual punchline. So like, boom, there's the credits. And as you said, Graham, the songs during the credits yeah. as well. Mm. But I think it's one of those things where like it, this film, of any film could have done the, done that sort of like slug lines telling you what happened next to them. Like to oh, spoil, yeah, another film, yeah. spoil another film entirely. You just need the ending of like after Christmas where it's like this happened to this character and they were happy and just do it with this. And like Connor for real went on to do this, this and this and was dope. And this character went on to do this, this and this <laughs> and was still dope. And yeah, that, that but yeah, it, the, the way it ends kind of leaves me on it. Oh, but then as you say, Graham, there's more songs during the credits as well. Completely. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, we were saying about how a lot of this has been out parodies by reality now. Uh, mm. Has anyone seen the press release that Justin Bieber has released for his new album? Uh, Sadly, no. It's quite something. Um, here is an excerpt. Bear in mind, this is for, as I say, a new Justin Bieber album rather than, say, a new plastic-eating microbe that will (laughs) cleanse world pollution. In a time where there's so much wrong with this broken planet, we all crave healing and justice for humanity. This is me doing a small part, my part. I want to continue the conversation of what justice looks like so we can continue to heal. Wow. That just sounds like he doesn't know they released the Snyder Cut. It's, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the equivalent of like the bit where it cuts to him going, why is, he, why is he saying gay marriage should be legal? It is. <laughs> That's, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's... it's <laughs> I think that the film, as, as I said, is following a lot of like the press coverage of Bieber and it's ridiculous. Like you go to restaurants and piss and clean and buckets or like assault and pester his neighbours and it would be all over the show. Like the sort of stuff that Will Arnett and Chelsea Peretti drinking from larger and larger cups will be talking about <laughs> over the course of, you know, a year or whatever. I think the film has more sympathy with, with Connor and with its characters than that. It suggests he might be all right if he wasn't obsessed with clout and that goes so much towards what the Lonely Island's doing is a parody of like white ours is doing hip hop. Like this speaks to a lot of the childish, like overstatement and posture that mm. people associate with white rappers, but it's, it's absolutely soaked in like an understanding and a fandom of that. It's not just like a broad parody. And I love that about it. It's um, I mean, I think this, as far as Connor goes, it's a thing of like, he's, he's not ideally placed to be writing and composing his own material anyway. And the way that the film brings those three back together and what they do mm is is well earned as well for a funny film you actually get invested in the characters as well mm. well it's it's something that i always note in their reggae parodies for all that stuff like um what was it uh ras trent and Rast-Trent. yeah and legalize it from the end credits here for all they are about the ridiculousness <laughs> of white people over identifying with rastafarian culture <laughs> they do always have a really nice line in you know references to horace andy and the upsetters that show that they Ooh. actually do know <laughs> this stuff yeah does that you know you said that was an excerpt of that beaver press release does it just go on to repeat sexual freedom for all sexual freedom for all <laughs> 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 yes. 
all of the songs on it are apparently just about how hot his wife is, which, you know, uh, fair, fair enough, you know, I, I love fair a man point. who loves his wife, but it's not continuing any sort of a conversation about justice. Yeah, much like Paul W.S. Anderson's entire filmography, it's fine to do stuff about how amazing your wife is. Have you even Rob coordinated this? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've just recorded something with Rob where we talk about Paul W.S. Anderson as filmmaking's ultimate wife guy. Yeah, it's just one of our incredible thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> well, as Sarah Silverman says, Connor's music isn't for me, but it has made a lot of people a lot of money. Uh, do we have any closing thoughts before we wrap this episode of Pop Screen up? Uh, well, my new headcanon is that 10 seconds is a third of the way to Mars, and that's about it, really. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, uh, that's been your, your April Fool's Day special for Pop Screen. Can we make this a thing? I feel like it should be a thing. Yeah, we'll find another. There's plenty of music spoofs we could do, isn't there? Definitely. We don't all have as, as good original soundtracks as this one, but Walk Hard definitely mm. does, so mm. if we haven't covered that by next April. <laughs> yes. But uh, you don't have to wait until April for another episode of this podcast, because that would be strange. Um, you can hear an exclusive episode if you're one of our Patreon donors from tomorrow. Uh, we're taking a week off next week, but we will be back for the rest of April going forward with some new episodes. Uh, until then, that's been your lot from Pop Screen. I've been Graham. Uh, I've been Sarah. I've been Mark. And we'll see you in two weeks' time. <laughs>